0: Okay, our scripture reading this morning is from Colossians three, twenty-two through chapter four, verse one. Um, if you'd like to look at it or follow along in the pew Bible, it's on page nine eighty-four, nine eighty-five. And if you do not have a Bible, we would love to just give you that copy right there as a gift. So you'd be welcome to take that home. Again, Colossians three twenty-two through four one. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, I wonder this morning as we hear that text read, uh, thinking about that, what was your, what was the first job that you ever had? Or, Or maybe what was the worst job that you ever had? And and maybe for the students here with us this morning, what's the, what was the worst year of school or the worst class that you've had at school so far? Um, my first paid job uh, was working for a landscaping company when I was 15 years old. And it was, it was hard work, uh, but for the most part, I actually really enjoyed it. I didn't mind the, 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 the hard labor part of it. Um, but the one part of it that I hated was weeding. I hated weeding because I didn't. I didn't mind spreading mulch so much, or even digging up sod to make new beds. Like, what I loved about that is you could see so quickly. Um, even though it was a lot of work, like you could see that you'd accomplish something and it looked different. Um, weeding, we would weed these huge, huge flower beds around these big upscale homes in, in West St. Louis County, and it just it seemed like forever. You'd be in this bed for two, three, four hours, sometimes half the day, and and there's this minuscule amount of progress being made. I still I hate weeding today. I, um, Rachel will tell you, I rarely do it. She usually ends up doing it. Um, when I was in seminary, I, I worked as a, as a window washer. That was another job I had. Not not up high on skyscrapers. My feet were always firmly planted on the ground. But um, for little strip malls and car dealerships on the north shore of Chicago. And it was a great job in the fall and the spring. I loved it. It was cool and the sun was shining. It was a great change from the musty library. Uh, but washing windows in Chicago during during the winter was absolutely miserable, right? So uh, the wind chills well below zero and you had to add all these special chemicals to the water so it wouldn't instantly freeze on in the glass when you put it on there to clean them. And uh, of course, everything took longer because you were wearing all these layers and you had to wear these thick, heavy, insulated rubber gloves. Um, and when I was in seminary, I looked at that job pretty much exclusively through the, end, the, the lens of, of making money to support the work that I really wanted to do, which was training to be a pastor. I looked at that job merely as a, as a means to an end. And, and for the most part, I think I did my work pretty well. My, my clients were mostly happy, but I didn't see the work itself as inherently valuable. It was just a means to getting something else that I wanted, a, a means of making money. Or, in some cases, it was, it was a way that I could talk about Jesus with, with those who didn't know them. There was this uh, woman, a Jewish woman who owned a, a dress shop, and she was always curious about what I was lear- She knew I was a seminary student. She was always curious what I was learning at the seminary. And so we'd sometimes talk about, about Jesus and how I was preparing to be a pastor when I was inside washing the mirrors and the inside glass. But what I didn't realize then, and, and only came to realize a few years later when I Started engaging as a pastor in the context of Christ's community. What I had missed in all of my study of the Bible and seminary training is the simple and yet profoundly biblical insight that if you want to take Jesus seriously, you have to take your work seriously. If you want to take Jesus seriously, you have to take your work seriously. And this is where we are going to focus this morning in this final message of our Church for Monday series. We've been looking at what it means to be ready to follow Jesus in all of life, not, not just here on Sunday, but on Monday in all of the places that God calls us. And what I want us to see this morning is that work is not first and foremost about compensation, but rather that it's about contribution, that the work that you do, whether it's paid or unpaid, is not primarily about contribution. It is uh, about compensation. It's, it's about contribution. It's not just what we get from our work, but what our work gives to the world. And what I want us to see is that the work that we do every day, whether that work is paid, unpaid, done at home or outside the home, at school, is not a distraction. It's not a barrier to what is really important in your life. And this is true whether you are a middle school student or whether you are retired from paid work. In fact, Christians ought to have a profoundly different view of retirement than the broader culture. The, actually, the cover story, I just got this in the mail on Friday, the cover story of Christianity Today magazine is, is all about retirement. The cover story is saving retirement. The dream of old age as a vacation has failed us. What now? You see, we are always called and always able to contribute at every stage of life. And work is where we spend most of our Monday life. And if we want to take Jesus seriously, we have to take our work seriously also. And so, here at the end of the book of Colossians, the short letter that Paul writes in chapters three and four, the Bible gives us sort of three key insights into our Monday work. And how it relates to what God is doing in the world. And in these chapters, broadly in the book, I mean, Paul is is writing to this little local church in the city of Colossae about their Monday life. And he touches on all kinds of different things their sexuality, relationships, how they speak to one another, parenting, marriage, and also their work. And the first insight that we see here at the end of chapter three is that your work is seen. Your work is seen. And Paul is going to tell them not to work just to please people, but to please God, because God is the one who sees and ultimately evaluates the work that they do. You see, you and I were made for work. We are made in the image of a working God. Work is not the result of sin or the fall in the world. We were made to work even before sin entered the world. So work is not a result of brokenness in the world, but work is deeply broken now. Every job, every labor has its thorns. Work is not as it should be. And we actually see this from the very first word of our passage this morning. Did you catch that? The passage begins, bond slaves, obey in everything. Those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people, please, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. That, the word bondservants, or it translates to the Greek word doulos, which is really better translated slave. And, and slavery was so common in the Greco-Roman culture in the Roman Empire at this time that probably about a third of people in the Roman Empire were slaves. One historian, ancient historian, said that half the people on the streets of Rome were slaves. And while slavery in the Greco-Roman Empire was was different than slavery in the United States, uh, many people who held professional positions like teachers and doctors in the Roman Empire were slaves, it was still a a deeply evil system. And and also, we can't read a text like this in the New Testament without without pausing to lament how, how Christians in the United States in the past abused passages like this to try to justify the kidnapping and enslavement of African men, women, and children. Yet, as African American New Testament scholar, Dr. Lloyd Lewis makes clear that far from justifying slavery, Colossians actually sows the seeds that undermined it. He writes this, commenting on these verses in Colossians, he points out that most African Americans find the letter's insistence on the right behavior of slaves to be At the least problematic, if not blatantly insensitive insensitive to the plight of any human being, is owned by others. Though Paul's church was grounded in its own time and situation, he insists on the power of God's new arrangement. In God's new arrangement, masters were exhorted, we're going to see this in a moment, not only to show justice to their slaves, but also to demonstrate the recognition of equality with them. Through the church of which Christ is the head, the situation exists in which the social stratification begins to crumble along its hard edges. And so the next question then for us as we look at a text like this, then is just, okay, so then how does this passage or does the passage like this apply to us in our current situation? And I think uh, Dr. Sanyu Irelu, the chairman of the Asia Theological Society in India, he points out that while thankfully we are no longer in the context of Greco-Roman slavery, that Paul's comments here still apply to all employees and employers, not only in businesses but also in homes and on farms. See, there's never been a time or a place where our work has not been profoundly affected by the evils of sin and brokenness in the world. Right? And we, we feel this in our own limitations. Right? I, I've talked about this, for example, in my own life. Dyslexia has made the work of reading and writing often deeply frustrating at times. So we feel it in our own individual experiences. We also feel it in the brokenness of the systems around us, those who, who don't have sufficient work because of, of underemployment or unemployment or, or lack of adequate education. We feel it in in the brokenness of of minimum wage earners who are trapped by predatory lending. Yet, here's the thing. No matter the circumstances, God sees you. He sees you. He sees your work, which is something that we all long for deeply. I I see this in my my kids. I have a five-year-old and a -a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Isla and Lucy. And every time, and this happens multiple times a day, every time they make something they're proud of, what's the first thing they do? They come grab me. Dad, close your eyes. And they they lead me by the hand. And now open your eyes. See the Lego tower I built. See the drawing that I made you. Every time they do something they're proud of, they want me to see it. We long for our work to be seen. And God sees your work. Uh, and, and not just the, the big and flashy work. He sees the routine work, the hidden work, the dishwashing and the diaper changing. And, and, and we even long for that work to be seen. Right? Like, if, if my wife, Rachel, if she's out and, and I work hard cleaning up the house or emptying the dishwasher and getting the kitchen straightened up when she gets home, if she hasn't said anything about that, <laughs> right, what's my question? Hey, did, you, did you notice the dishwasher? Did you notice the girl's room? Right? In other words, did you see my work? Did you see my work? God sees it all the routine and the hidden. He, he sees the marginalized and the overlooked. He, he sees the woman who takes my order at McDonald's on Warnell. He sees the, the migrant farm workers and the Silicon Valley CEOs. He sees the work of day traders and day laborers. So what will change tomorrow if you actually believe that God sees your work? And do you believe that he sees your work? Is that a reality that actually shapes your life? And, and not just your paid work or your primary work, whether it's paid or not, but, but all of your work, right? The work of, of taking the car for an oil change, of, of emptying the dishwasher, yes, even of, of weeding the flower beds. Martin Luther King Jr. expressed it this way. He said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all hosts of heaven and earth will pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Your work is seen Your work is seen, so do it well. Always. If you want to take Jesus seriously, you have to take your work seriously. So God sees our work, which means, and we see this in verses 23 and 24, that your work will be rewarded. Your work will be rewarded. Take a look again at verses 23 and 24. Paul says, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. And then he says, you serve, you serve the Lord Christ. You see, when you do your work from the heart, that is when you really put your best effort into it viewing your work not just as a way to please people or to get noticed or to advance your own ends, but when you really do your work as a way to serve Jesus and to love your neighbor, that kind of work, that kind of work will be rewarded by Jesus. Why? Because I love this, this phrase. It's the key phrase here in this whole passage. You serve the Lord Christ. You serve the king of the universe. That's who you work for ultimately. And because God has seen and sees all of your work, not just your work done from the heart, but rather because you see God sees all of your work, no work done for him from the heart will go unrewarded. No matter how overlooked or how obscure or how mundane it may seem right now, it will be rewarded. Now imagine for Paul's original readers in the city of Colossae, those who were slaves hearing these words. What a a change in perspective. What a different kind of hope that would have given them because slaves in the Roman Empire, they couldn't receive an inheritance. They didn't own property. They couldn't amass wealth. But Paul says, your work will be rewarded. You will receive an inheritance because God sees and He rewards. Even if you're treated unjustly, unfairly here, God sees and He will reward. But this should also be a sobering reality for us too. Why? Well, Because God not only sees and rewards good work, He also sees and will reward bad work and wrongdoing with justice. Just keep reading to verses 24 and then on into 4.1, beginning in verse 25 here. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal justly and fairly with your slaves, since you know that you too have a master in heaven Good work is rewarded and wrongdoers will be paid back, including you, masters, Paul says. You too have a master in heaven. You too have someone who's seeing your work, is evaluating you, and will evaluate you on whether or not you acted with justice and fairness. This is sobering to me as a boss. Because not only am I the, the pastor here of the Brookside Church family, but I'm also the, the boss to the Brookside staff team. And God will not just evaluate me on if I, I pastored this congregation well, but also whether or not I treated those who work with me, who work for me, with justice and fairness did I use the power that I was entrusted with to build up, to reward justly, to pay fairly, to treat with understanding, to hold accountable those who are not doing their work well? Jesus will evaluate me on all those things and more as a boss. And one of the pastors who has encouraged me and helped me the most in thinking about connecting faith and work is a pastor in Arizona named Jim Mullins. And he leads just a phenomenal church there, in the, kind of the Phoenix area of both working class and professional people, and he says this. He says, it's easy for folks who have a lot of power to gravitate to Genesis 1 and 2 and the affirmation of the goodness of work. We need to see that. But he says, in some ways, that can become a proof text of what they already believe about their work. But sometimes the message they need to hear, those in more powerful positions, is that their work can be a means of idolatry, injustice, or injury and injustice, if not stewarded well. I need to hear that. How do we use and steward the power we have been entrusted with? It will be evaluated and appropriately rewarded are judged, uh, whether it is the power over a Fortune 5 company or whether it is simply the power you have as a kid over your little sister simply because you're bigger than her. But all of that power will be evaluated. Now what all this means for us then is that, that work is deeply a place of spiritual formation. Work is a place where we're being refined and where we will be rewarded. It is a place where we face difficulties and temptations. It is a place where we desperately need God's Spirit to empower us and guide us, to convict us, to encourage us, to seek forgiveness, to exercise courage. All right, so often we look at spiritual formation as, as reading our Bible and praying before we go to work. And it's not less than that. In fact, you you should do that. You're not going to be ready for work if you don't do that. But so often we we think that the spiritual formation part of our day ends when we close our Bible, but that nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, when you close your Bible and open the door to the office is often when the real spiritual formation work begins. So what will change tomorrow if you actually believe that God rewards you. So much of our work, especially the work of parents and the work of those in the service industries, goes largely unnoticed, largely unthanked, largely unacknowledged, but God sees it. He rewards it. He delights in it. He delights in you as you do those things, and He is forming you through it. The reward we receive in the end is not just something we get, but also the person that we become. The reward we get in the end is not just something we receive, but the person that we become. If you want to take Jesus seriously, you have to take your work seriously. And third, we see in this passage that our work is so much bigger than us. Your work is so much bigger than you. Because so often when we think and talk about work, we mostly think about us, right? We, we work for the weekend or we work for retirement or we work to find personal meaning and satisfaction. And so much of our current cultural environment pushes us in the, that, that direction, right? The theme of so many commencement speeches and addresses is, is something like, find your passion, pursue your dream, do what you love, That falls so short of, of what you and I were made for. And, and also, also it, it, it just, it's just so difficult to actually realize that. First, it's, it's really only possible when you think about it, that kind of vision of pursue your passion, your dream. It's really only possible for the extremely privileged to do that. In the history of the world and in so many places in the world today, and for many of us, frankly, here in this room, work is not about passion. It's about survival. You've just got to try to make ends meet. To make the, the next payment on the car and to put food on the table, you, you're, you're just trying to make ends meet the best you can. This isn't about passion. It's just about survival, Second, that vision is also just unrealistic, because not everybody can do what they love. Some jobs just need doing, and nobody particularly loves them. How many lives have been ruined by that phrase, find your passion, and then struggled to to monetize their, their love for video gaming? And third, the reason why that vision fails us is is that if that's our motivation, do what I love, find my passion, it makes work, which is so much of your life, right? How many hours do you spend work, school? It takes work, which we spend so much of our lives doing, and it makes it about us, completely self-centered. And if your work is all about you, of course you're going to be miserable. Instead of finding our passion we need to do is find our purpose. Morton Hansen, who as far as I know is not a Christian, he's certainly not writing from a Christian perspective, but is the author of a fantastic book called Great at Work. He writes this, he says, there's actually a big difference between passion and purpose. Passion is do what you love, whereas purpose is do what contributes. Passion asks, what can the world give to you? A hedonistic inclination. Purpose asks, what can you give to the world?'" other orientation and this is what Paul is getting at let me read again verse 23 whatever you do do it from the heart as something done not for you but for the Lord and not for people you serve the Lord Christ he's your boss every one of us in this room is in full time ministry because you serve the Lord Christ do you work at Cerner you serve the Lord Christ. Are you retired? You serve the Lord Christ. Are you an administrator at Brookside Charter School? You serve the Lord Christ. Are you a stay at home person, a stay at home parent? You serve the Lord Christ. Are you a nurse at, at KU, at St. Luke's, Children's Mercy? You serve the Lord Christ. Are you a student? You serve the Lord Christ. You see, it's not just pastors, missionaries, nonprofit leaders who serve Jesus full time. Every one of you in your work serves the Lord Christ. And our work is the primary way that we love our neighbors. The work that we do each and every day ought to contribute to the good and flourishing of our neighbors, both across the street, across town, and and even in our globalized economy across the world. But right so often, though, it's hard to imagine how my particular job actually loves a neighbor. And, and, And while I don't think this was exactly their point, Verizon did an incredible job of illustrating this in their Super Bowl ad this year. Do you remember that ad? So so imagine you're selling phones at a Verizon retail store, you clean a Verizon office building, or you work on an assembly line putting a phone together, or you climb cell towers to make repairs. You may not feel a deep sense of purpose about your work, but do you remember the commercial? Take a look.
0: Hi, my name is Anthony Lynn. In 2005, I was in a horrible car accident. I was hit by a car going 50 miles an hour, and I promise you I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the first responders. They told me that I flew 45, 50 feet in the air. The doctor told me, he said, you're very, you're very lucky, it was a miracle.
1: Hi, Coach, my name is Jim Brittle. It's my partner, Craig Kelly. We're the first two first responders on scene.
0: Coach, my name is Skyla Bosco. I was the paramedic on Medic Engine 1 that evening. I've often thought about, you know, who showed up that night. I never thought I'd see you. I mean, that's it's unbelievable. said i had to have some angels with me that night to survive i believe you guys are angels thank you guys thank you
1: so what is the work of verizon what do they really do they answer the call but what do they we make sure they get it that's I mean, they're, they're giving every one of their employees and their professional a profound sense of purpose. What do you do? You make sure first responders get the call in an emergency. That's what, that's what your work as, a, as someone in, in the telecommunications industry is really about. And think about them too. If you're an EMT, a police officer, a firefighter, uh, Pastor John, who uh, often leads worship for us, was, was a firefighter for five years, right? All of that work is about loving your neighbor. In our complex global economy, every job matters so that we can help one another. So, so think about it this way if your job didn't exist, what would the world be missing? If, if the work you do on Monday didn't exist, what would the world be missing? What if your industry didn't exist? What would be missing? So, so let me just uh, take Cerner for a moment here, because a bunch of you work at Cerner. All right, some of you are engineers, you take the stuff that God made and you give it new purpose. Some of you are in sales. You take products that better people's lives and get them into hospitals and doctor's offices affordably. If you work in HR, you provide a place where people can work and flourish with dignity. If you're an executive, you create jobs and provide a living for literally thousands of people and families in Kansas City. I recently heard it summed up like this. Instead of do what you love, love the people you do it for. Instead of do what you love, love the people that you do it for. All right, so when I take my car to the shop, what I want most, right, I don't want my mechanic to, to give me a hug or to pray with me or to bring me soup when I'm sick. What I want is for my car to work when it's done and for be to be treated fairly. That's love for me. So what will change for you tomorrow if you actually believe your work, whatever it is, is for Jesus. If you could actually see the many ways that your work loves your neighbor, that your work has purpose, and that it's bigger than you. If you want to take Jesus seriously, you have to take your work seriously. If you want to take Jesus seriously, you have to take your work seriously. And, and I want to end this series where we began with the question that what if Christians were known more for our Mondays than for our Sundays? The more ways we live and work and serve outside these walls, then, then if we were known more for that for than for anything that we accomplish in here. And that's the church, not, not just gathered here on Sunday, which is so important for us to be ready for Monday, but if what if we were known more for what we did scattered outside of the walls of this building Imagine what God might do here in Kansas City, here in these neighborhoods. So as we wrap up this morning, here's what I want to do. We often do what we call this time tomorrow interviews. We did one last Sunday with Doug Tim. Interviews to tell stories of the ways in which God uses ordinary people to serve him in all kinds of ordinary ways. And this morning, I want us to sort of interview ourselves. I want to ask you to reflect on the questions that we ask in those interviews Just for yourself for a moment here. I want all of us to think through these questions together. What will you be doing this time tomorrow? So Monday morning, 9.56 a.m., what will you be doing? Where will your Monday work have you? Where have you experienced or seen brokenness in your work? Where have you seen or experienced God's restoration in your work? think about this again what will i be doing this time tomorrow how is god forming me in my work in my school etc how is god forming you there what are the ways that my work loves my neighbor and serves my savior What is that your particular work loves your neighbor serves your savior reflect on those. I just want to pray for you and actually kind of just even commission you um, for the work that you're going to be doing tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and beyond. Let me pray for you right now. Father in heaven, I pray for each person, each man, woman, child, student gathered here in this room. And I pray for their Monday. I pray for where you have sent them, or you've sovereignly placed them, that tomorrow, that where they go to work or to school or to care for children or to look for a job, that that place, that they're not there by accident, but that you are there with them, that you see their work, that you will reward it, that you have a purpose for them and a purpose for their work. Give them a profound sense of your presence and your purpose for them. Both, yes, here on Sunday, but on Monday as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.